Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I'd like to thank uh, the Everything Imaginable contributors and my staff, uh, executive producer, Candice Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, senior editor, Amanda Steele, author of Ghosts of Me, binaural production engineer, Damian Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host, Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. And if you are interested in becoming a contributor to this podcast, just go to everythingimaginable2020.com. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a monetary thing either. You can simply go there and look at some of the different things I need help with. And that would be great. And now, without any further ado, we have Suzanne Ross. And uh, this is going to be a super interesting interview. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for having me on, Gary. I'm super excited about engaging in a paranormal, spiritual conversation. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I always ask this question first. What kind of got you down this road? 1995. I had a profound awakening experience on a mountaintop. I uh, was working in the corporate world back east on the East Coast, even though I was raised in Southern California, I got moved there with a job promotion and a marriage. And uh, after about seven years, just found myself to be totally miserable, supposed to be living the American dream. But for me, it felt like the American nightmare trapped in the corporate world. Every day as I went to my office, I felt like I was going to my jail cell. The mean-spirited politics were brutal, and uh, I started to have um, mental, uh, physical ailments. I was being rushed to the hospital for anxiety attacks. Physically, my hair was falling out in clumps, and I had eczema all over my skin, and uh, I just felt that my life lacked meaning and purpose. And one day I just walked out to the kitchen and said, you know what, if there's no more meaning and purpose to life than this, I'm out of here. This isn't what I signed up for. And about that time, the phone rang and it was my parents calling from the desert. And I was saved by the bell and they invited me to come visit them in the desert of Southern California. And I said, that's exactly what I need. It was December in New Jersey and blizzarding. And so I got on an airplane headed out to the desert and started to experience fun in the sun and joy and love and laughter with my family. But as the vacation started coming to a close, I felt this overwhelming sense of impending doom that I was gonna have to return to my life in hell. And <laughs> one morning I just ran to the top of a mountain behind their house. I threw my arms up to the sky and I said, I am miserable in the extreme and see no way out. And in that moment, I felt like the air around me was embracing me and I heard a voice resonate within me and all around me. And it said, can't you see you've come home? You'll stay here and heal yourself and many others. 
And in that moment, I knew that was the absolute truth for me. All of the anxiety and depression was replaced by excitement and enthusiasm over my new life in the desert as a healer. And for the next two weeks, I just felt like I was following this energy as it was inspiring me to do this and that, to organize my new life in the desert as a healer. I left my life on the East Coast and in two weeks started a job at a local five-star resort in health and wellness. <laughs> I, I can definitely relate to living in New Jersey through those hellish winters working with cor in corporate America because <laughs> I have lived in New Jersey all my life, <laughs> except for now. I've left <laughs> and I, I worked for Comcast and it was absolute nightmare. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I love to find parallels on our paths. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. yeah, we started, we lived in Hackensack okay. at first. My, my brother lived in Hackensack. Aye, aye, aye. <laughs> yeah, I worked for Toys R Us, which was in the Paramus Mall parking lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've been there. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, they had a high rise right there in the Paramus Mall parking lot, and I worked in the corporate office there that's crazy and right uh, yeah. when i first arrived i didn't even own a coat because i was coming from southern california right mm -hmm. we got there and i'm like oh my god it's never been so cold in my life and we had to go to the mall and get a coat and a scarf and some gloves <laughs> I, I i relate the idea of going back to new jersey in the winter terrifies me now i, I don't know if i could survive oh, another one <laughs> Right. Um, so when you found yourself, you know, working, I, I, I mean, that's really amazing just how you fell into this whole new healing job and you found the right place at the right time. I, again, it, it always works this way. It's synchronicities are, are always fascinate me on how that happens. You know, it, it's hard to deny that, that um, people find their purpose. And, and it sounds like that's what happened to you. It was amazing because I literally on that morning drove to the five-star resort and I really felt like, you know, spirit, which I wasn't even familiar with, but somehow this invisible force was pushing or pulling me in the direction of do this, do that. And I got in the car, I drove to this five-star resort. Literally, they hired me on the spot with no real health and wellness qualifications. I mean, I had a long business resume and I like to work out, <laughs> but I really had no health and wellness qualifications. And they hired me on the spot and said, can you start in two weeks? And like filling out the resume was an afterthought, you know? And I said, yes, I can. And then as I was walking through the parking lot, I was thinking, wow, this is really surreal. What am I doing? But I knew it was the absolute right thing for me to do. And I was starting to feel so aligned and even, you know, elated Right. And that mm -hmm. to me felt like, okay, I finally am feeling happy and joyful. So, <laughs> right. So, so was this a, like a, a, there's two, usually two different types. So there's a slow learning process where people gradually change in 
to you know living a more spiritual type of life and getting more in touch with the energies around us and things like that and then there's other people that have the um an instant kundalini awakening and start downloading information uh which one was it for you i felt like in that moment i was really merged with my higher self and as such aligned with my true calling and i've actually had a hypnotic regression with well-known regressionist Lori mcdonald and during that hypnotic regression i was shown that on the mountaintop that day that two beings surfaced from the inner earth and had a woman in between them and it looked just like me and she walked into me, turned around, and looked out. And that made so much sense to me because I was spontaneously healed in a moment. It was such a profound awakening in a moment. <laughs> I mean, I stepped on the spiritual path as soon as this event transpired. I ran down the mountain and was set off on a new spiritually inspired life as my new higher self. And before that, I had no interest in spirituality whatsoever. It, you know, never even appeared in my life prior to that. Wow. That's fascinating. For me, it's been the complete opposite. I, I was interested in this kind of thing since I was like 12. I started reading tarot cards and, and, you know, trying all kinds of different things, you know, drugs, whatever I could do to alter my, my state of consciousness. And um, I'm still waiting for that big aha moment. <laughs> um, yes, it's totally unexpected, but life altering in every way. That's amazing. Um, what really changed? Like, was it your perception of reality? Was it how you felt? Um, did your, were you given any type of information that you were been able to use to help other people heal? You know that these are all great questions and I would say yes, yes, and yes. And so instantly I knew that I would become a healer in, a, in the desert, just like the voice said I would, and I did. And then the voice said, you will stay here and heal yourself and many others. And I did. And I ended up opening a wellness center and healed myself and many others as my business grew and grew. I had never taken any courses in kinesiology, biomechanics, um, and I, of course, had to get certified as a personal trainer, as a nutrition coach. And I mean, I have to give credit to, to getting this type of certification because the books are this fat and you have to know like all the muscles, all the bones, all the kinesiology of the movements and biomechanics. And, you know, you have to design programs based on different criteria. And I just walked in, I, I, you know, looked through the manuals, but it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. You know, went to take the certification course at UCLA and passed the first time. And this information just felt innate. 
Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, I've heard that kind of. It's like when people download information and they just know it's already. It's like it's, it's implanted in you almost. Right. Yeah. yeah. As I read yeah. the manual, I was like, yeah, yeah, I got it, got it, got it. It just was so um, natural and I just got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you ever use like any type of like energy type of healing, like sound, crystals, like Reiki? And so this happened in December, 1995. And the first expression was physical. Mm -hmm. I, you know, became a personal trainer, a nutrition coach, a clinical exercise specialist. But one thing that really stood out is that I was always determined to help everyone to have more self-confidence, to have greater self-esteem. Of course, if you're a personal trainer, you become a personal counselor. And I always wanted everybody to leave feeling good about themselves, smiling, feeling elevated and uplifted, you know, and there, so there was some kind of like um, mental, emotional, spiritual aspect already coming in at that time. And so then I started teaching yoga. And once I started teaching yoga, then, you know, things got more spiritual as far as uh, the application of my wellness training. But after that event on the mountaintop, I wanted to know what happened? Who was that voice? What was that voice? Where did it come from? And so I dove into what you might call a Hay House brand of spirituality. And I became a huge fan of Wayne Dyer in particular, but of course, Louise Hay, Marianne Williamson. And back in those times, we had uh, cassettes, <laughs> maybe some <laughs> CDs, but I would put these cassettes in a little cassette player, right? And I would walk out, take these long walks in nature because I moved to this beautiful desert environment. And I would listen to these audio tapes as I took walks out in nature. And I just fell in love with Wayne Dyer and his teachings. And I bought several of his books and other books that were spiritual. So on a personal level, I was becoming more spiritual, but on a professional level, it was really when I started to bring in yoga and then guide visualizations and such during yoga that I started to awaken more and apply it to my um, work. What type of yoga was it? It was just your regular poses. Um, gosh, it's been a long time now, so I don't remember what you call just traditional yoga, where you go through a series of postures. But I can tell you that one of my friends had actually been to India, and she studied with a yogi, and her name is Betty, and we found out we were born on the same birthday. <laughs> anyway, she came to start teaching these classes with me. And so she was teaching me, um, you know, how to do these different poses, how to do more advanced poses, how to guide a yoga class, and then particularly how to guide a visualization at the end of the yoga class, right? Mm -hmm. And bring everybody into that you know, sort of meditative state. 
And um, yeah, that was when things, you know, I became more interested in offering a more spiritual approach through breathing practices, yoga postures and meditation. And how did you go from uh, the yoga practices to, you know, talking about extension? Right. And so I stayed in the desert for about 12 years. Um, in 2007, the economy crashed. I mean, I can even say after 9-11, things started to go south. Right, it was bad. This town right. was mostly retired uh, golfers mm -hmm. and they were my primary clientele. After 9-11 and the stock market crash, most of them walked away from their second and third homes, which these were. The town started to become a ghost town. And then in 2007, uh, you remember the whole economic uh, crash yes. in the United States and um, everything started to close in town. Um, I met the love of my life <laughs> shortly after my awakening experience. His family owned a grocery store in town. And as things started to really um, fall apart in this town, the business is closing. Um, they sold their store and he moved to Northern California to start a telecom business with his brother. And I stayed behind, like I was determined, like this is where my dream came true. And I'm staying here no matter what cost. The five-star resort where I got my job literally shut down, put up chain link fences with no trespassing signs. I was losing all of my clientele. And as this town died, like I died with it. And I had a classic dark night of the soul. I turned to the bottle. I mean, I started drinking at the local bar during the day and at night. And yeah, it wasn't pretty. It was a classic <laughs> dark night of the soul. And finally, my husband said, oh, hell no. Like, this isn't going to happen to my beautiful wife. And so he, I moved up to Northern California um, and uh, went to... AA and got the counseling I needed and I've never looked back. <laughs> so that was, that was great that I got counseling and it was really the counseling. I didn't, you know, to give up the bottle was really no big deal. Um, it was more the counseling that I really felt like I needed just because it felt like such a failure and a loss. And um, on the other side of that, uh, in Northern California, I got a job at a beautiful um, high-end health and wellness complex. And once I got a job back in health and wellness, you know, I was like on a healing journey after that. But I stepped onto a Buddhist path because my sister was into Buddhism. And she was reading this book, The Jewel Tree of Tibet by mm -hmm. Robert Thurman. And I can tell you that book was life-changing and I stepped on a Buddhist path and started going to Buddhist retreats and Buddhist really Buddhism became the foundation for my much deeper spiritual path. So, you know, I tell people the dark night can be a great gift because if you survive that dark night, sometimes the light on the other side is much brighter and more brilliant than ever before. And, that's how I felt. 
<laughs> and so I started engaging in all these Buddhist practices with mm -hmm. mantra and mudra and tantra. And it was really when I went into these deep trance states that I literally started channeling, going on astral journeys. I learned like automatic writing. I shouldn't say I learned. I spontaneously started doing automatic writing. Uh -huh. I would take walks out in nature and felt like I was shifting into a whole different version of reality. Yeah, so cool. there's the story. <laughs> I'm very transparent about yeah. my story because it's just true. You, you know, it's around that same time probably as you is when I, I read a book called How to See Yourself as You Really Are by the Dalai Lama. And it really hit a nerve with me. I was like, wow, this is really interesting. I want to go and try meditation. And, uh, and I found a, a, a local uh, Buddhist nun, her name was Trime, and she would hold meditation every Sunday and Thursday nights at some house, and I got involved with that, and I started going on these uh, three-day retreats and never looked back after that. It, it, changed, it, it changed my life. And it was probably around, right around that same time because, you know, I, I was just grinding after that uh, after around 2007, you know, it was just like, I was just in survival mode all the time up until I started doing that. So, yeah, yes. it's interesting. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, isn't it? Boy, I can tell you, um, such self-realization took place during that time. Um, I would do this liberating prayer from Kadampa Buddhism, and it would it taught me to imagine golden nectar flowing down <laughs> from the heavens, mm -hmm. right, entering my crown down to the soles of my feet. And so I was just doing what the what this liberating prayer, yeah. you know, said to do. But I would imagine that, and then I felt like. I was this glowing golden light body walking through nature. And then suddenly like I would have these moments of total awareness of oneness and that everything was consciousness. And then I started to get these ideas like the water was liquid consciousness and mm -hmm. forms were crystallized consciousness and everything is consciousness and it's fluid and malleable based on my thoughts like these ideas just started coming through me and to me and i would just walk in nature and just be like wow 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 like everything seems so <laughs> extraordinary and yes <laughs> that's great and it is cool and i think that's one of the things that we overlook is just the the fact that we're here and there's all this life around us and, and all the you know, trees, birds, rocks, everything, it's miraculous in a way. But we don't, like, I didn't, never it's saw it. I, like, for a long time, I, I just, um, you know, walked past it without noticing. Was that like for you, like, when you were out there grinding, like, like you just didn't notice all this beauty in the world? 
I mean, I appreciated beauty since I was a kid. I was actually mm-hmm. born in Mount Shasta. Ah. <laughs> and so as a kid, I played in the woods around Mount Shasta. And I have always been so enamored with nature. And I've always felt there was something really special about the sun. And my mom named me Susie Sunshine when I was just a toddler because I always wanted to be like in the direct line of the sun. And I always wanted to be barefoot walking Mm. in the grass. And I always wanted to go hiking, even as a little kid. And we had this big cat, big black cat named Lucifer, of all things. (laughs) And my mom would send this big black cat into the woods with me because the cat would chase away like any critters or Mm -hmm. anything. But I remember feeling like everything was so alive and that there was even like beings in the trees, like fairies, elementals, but even just the flowers and the bushes, everything was so alive. It was like they were all my friends Mm -hmm. and I never felt alone out in nature and never have felt alone ever since. Like I've always been really enamored with nature and wilderness and, you know, but when I started to awaken like this, I remembered what it felt like to be a child and, you know, feeling so connected to the living things and beings out in nature. So it sort of like reawakened that, you know, awe of creation within me and that ability to connect with the living things and beings like I felt like I could reach out to a flower and the flower would literally reach back like I just felt that much of a consciousness connection with the living things and beings and I mean I just I don't know these walks would be so magical I felt like I was you know, Cinderella or Dorothy, right? Like just walking on air in these higher dimensional experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, and it would be hard to come back. Like when I would get back home and it's like, okay, now I got to go to the grocery store. And it would be hard to shift Mm -hmm. back into that kind of 3D mode to interact with the 3D world after that. Um, Can I take a quick break? I drank a big smoothie before we got started. Um, I'm sorry that you'll have to edit. Okay, hold on one second. Pause. Can't see. So while you were at Mount Shasta, I mean, Mount Shasta is sort of a famous place. It's supposed to be like a vortex or something. Did you see any UFOs while you were living out there? Well, this then brings us to my father's abduction before I was even born. Do you want to go there? Absolutely. I love abduction stories. Okay. Or experiencer stories, I should say. 
right? And so when my father was 18 years old, living in a small town called Leader, Saskatchewan, him and three of his buddies took off after dinner one night in his car, going down a dirt road. And he noticed a bright white light behind them, in front of them, out in the field. And so he wanted to pull over and check it out. The two guys in the back seat were freaking out, like, let's get the hell out of here. But him and his buddy, Don, wanted to get out and lean on the driver's side door and see if this thing would go past them. And next thing they knew, they're just sitting in their car looking at each other. And he says, well, let's get out of here. As they start to pull away, they see this bright white light race across the field and merge with a larger orange light, which then takes off into space. And so they're stunned and they go to the nearest farmhouse and they're banging on the door. You guys see these lights? And the woman was furious that they were knocking on their door after midnight. And he's like, midnight, you know, we just left, we did downright down the street. And this is when they realized that they had lost four hours of time. And so the next day, my father realized that he had a triangular shaped metallic object in his wrist. Mm -hmm. Now, growing up, he called that his alien chip and he would hold it. And when we were old enough to not be too freaked out by it, you know, he mm -hmm. told us the story. But growing up, he would always say, it's my alien chip. <laughs> and it was literally this like gray raised triangular shaped um, object in his wrist. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a couple weeks later, he got recruited by NCR, National Cash Register Company. And he was hired to work on cash registers. Well, long story short, he became a genius in the emerging computer age with only a high school education and ended up becoming uh, the head of the computer software division and a professor teaching uh, computer technology. And he owes it to his alienship. He would say, it's my alienship. <laughs> and he was so enamored with the night sky and he was always pointing into the night sky and you know, describing constellations and explaining Pleiades as a nebula or star nursery. He particularly was focused on the three belt stars of Orion. Mm -hmm. And he would talk about other life in the cosmos. And he had books on UFOs and aliens. Whitley Strieber's book was like on our coffee table. And <laughs> he watched everything on TV to do with, you know, anything UFO and alien. And so it was really fun growing up with my dad. Oh, um, that's great. But, uh, yeah. So did he ever then do like a, I, did he ever remember any of the abduction? He never did. No. Um, and he, but he was like, I'm gonna say, curious mm -hmm. about it. His whole life after that, but you know, back in the day, it wasn't like you had these hypnotic regressionists like you do now. Like it wasn't really something you talked about, right, right with others. Hmm. Um, and so, but within the family, you know, he would sit and ponder like, what were those lights? 
you know, and how did we lose four hours of time and what may have happened during that time? And his two buddies in the back seat never wanted to talk about it again. In fact, one of them became a raging alcoholic. Um, but his buddy, Don Malstead, who was sitting next to him, uh-huh. um, him and my dad would get together on occasion over the years and they'd sit over a beer, you know, and just be like, what do you think happened? And, you know, so. <laughs> did, did he uh, ever get an x-ray or anything done on the implant? He did not. Because I interviewed uh, Terry Lovelace a couple weeks ago, and he had x-rays of the chip behind his knee. And also, this Saturday, I'm interviewing Kathleen Marden, the niece of Betty and Barney Hill. She wrote the book with uh, Stanton Friedman. Oh, wow. So that's pretty cool. Yes. Well, I just had a three-day retreat um, the weekend before last, and Terry Lovelace was there. Was he? Yeah, he was a good friend of mine. Uh, yeah, he did. He flew out here with his lovely wife, Sheila, and he spoke at my event. And also I had a contactee guest panel. Uh-huh. And so he was on the guest panel and I'll share some of that footage with you if you like. Yeah, I'm going to do a virtual Ascension retreat, you know, after. That's great. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, ha- I haven't booked two more times. Just, uh, I, mean, I-, I talked to him for like three hours. Like we just scratched the surface of it. It was incredible. Yeah. His so, story is really incredible. More do, and more do, has come out over the years. Do you think that there's a connection between these experiencers and what you do with the extension process? Yes. And so here's, you know, an interesting thing. Um, I'm actually going to be on coast to coast next week. And (laughs) I was talking to the Galu books people and and we were exploring this topic about, you know, multi-generational because I actually had a missing time experience uh, here in Sedona a few years ago. So um, yeah, just to back up a little bit. So my father ended up getting, um, he was transferred to Mount Shasta where then I was born. And, you know, as a kid, I was very psychic and could see all these invisible children and I knew them by name. And, um, and so, but that kind of started to fade out when I was like six or seven, my father got transferred then to Dayton, Ohio right next to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Mm. My father was German speaking because his mother was German. And we remember these German speaking men coming to our house in the evenings and they would pour over these plans. Now it wasn't until later I became aware of Project Paperclip. And I always wondered like, was my father involved with that? Like, first of all, how did he get recruited from a little tiny town out in the middle of nowhere, right after his abduction experience by NCR, right? Then get transferred to Mount Shasta, then get transferred to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base to be connected with these German scientists, you know, and then he was very secretive about his work after that. He didn't really talk about it, Um, but we considered him a genius and he was writing manuals on computer technology. And we wondered if maybe there was some reverse engineering going on, or they were getting some intel, you know, from an advanced uh, mm-hmm. race. Um, but uh, 
Yeah. So, you know, that was all very curious. And then my dad and I would go on walks and he'd say things like, you know, the aliens are us coming back from the future. And I'd be like, wow, dad, okay. <laughs> but then um, when we were living out in the desert, so then I started working in the desert and I told you about that. And my dad ended up retiring and, and we would take walks in the desert. And this one day we were walking and talking about aliens and UFOs. And um, we suddenly came around the corner and it was a bright blue sunny day, but suddenly it was like, it was like shady and misty and chilly. And we were looking at each other and we then noticed on the ground, there was a giant blackened perfect circle. And leading up to this circle was a straight path. And we were like, okay, what's this? And then we felt like there were eyes all around us. And my dad said, this is creepy. You want to get out of here? And I said, yes. And we turned around and it was a bright blue sunny day again. And we just felt like we had some kind of interdimensional mm -hmm. shift or right. And then from then on, we called that spot, the alien landing strip, but in the, sunlight of the day there was nothing it was like that was a moment in time where somehow we shifted into this space time mm. where there was a burned out you know, spot <laughs> uh, anyways yeah I, I was just having right? a, i was just having a conversation yesterday with one of my guests about the idea that maybe our reality sometimes crosses a little bit over into their reality another reality and their reality sometimes, so, so you know, un unknowingly, sometimes they might be walking into ours, sometimes we might be going into theirs and just crossing paths. Yes, right? It's almost like we were so focused in our conversation on aliens and UFOs and the next thing you know, it's like, there we are. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I wonder, you know how they say like where your attention goes, energy flows, right? And so somehow, you know, I think we attracted that experience. Wow. Is he still alive? No, my father passed away in 2013. Oh, Bless sorry. his dear soul. I love him so much and I miss him all the time, but I do feel like he's present with me <laughs> at times. And yeah. You know, he wasn't very spiritual, but interestingly enough, he got cancer and he had gone through chemo, which almost killed him. And he came to live with me after he was rehabbing from that. And he just said, okay, Suzanne, like I saw my life pass before my eyes. I want to know what you and your sister are into. And so I started to give him one book. In fact, I gave him David Wilcox's book. Uh -huh. Um Remember that book he wrote? It was very well researched. The Source Field Investigations. Uh -huh. Because my dad was very much into science. But like this book was this great bridge between science and spirituality. And my dad was just blown away by all this research David Wilcock had done. And then he was open to David's next book, which was about being the reincarnation of Edgar Cayce. Uh -huh. And then he got into the law of one material that David introduced. And we both really got into the law of one material and this idea of this group, Ra, 
right? And it was really cool. So in the last several years of my dad's life, like we together really dove into all these things. And uh, by the time he passed, he uh, had a connection with Jesus and the angels. And so he passed in a very spiritual way, having previously been kind of an atheist. <laughs> right. Is it, with the um, extension, the ex, I always pronounce the word wrong, sorry about that. But with the extension, um, I know a lot of the people that I have talked to about it talk about um, either from two ways. One, that Gaia, the Earth, is moving into 5D. Or others will say that um, there's certain races of aliens making humans move into 5D. Usually it's Pleiadians, Syrians, or Arcturians. Um, do, you, do you know anything about those subjects or have any opinion? Yes, thank you for asking. And so that brings in my missing time experience because in 2017, I had two friends visiting and we set an intention to call upon the Arcturians. Now, the first time that I saw the word Arcturian, I was like, whoa, I have to know everything there is to know about Arcturians. You know, I'd seen Pleiadians, I'd seen Orions, but when I saw Arcturian, I was like, okay, there's something about that. And my two friends who were visiting, the gentleman had already had a direct experience with the Arcturians. And so we just, the three of us held hands in my living room and I joke like, this is what we do at night in Sedona. But the three of us held hands and we like intentionally called upon the Arcturians to have more direct contact. We had seen lights off of my upper back deck on the horizon, but nothing, you know, concrete. So after we did that, we went out on my back deck and then there was a huge explosion of white light on the horizon and all of us felt dizzy and we grabbed the handrail and then I saw, we all saw my motion detectors on the bottom stair, the middle stair and the upper stair go off as if someone was coming up the stairs, but we didn't see anybody. Mm -hmm. And the next thing we knew, we were all standing there cold and we're like, okay, let's go inside. Why are we out here? We were all like disoriented and exhausted. So I said, hey, I'm going to bed. Well, I'm going to bed at 8.30 at night, but I'm going to bed. And I walked into the kitchen and looked at my phone and it said 12.40. And then we knew we had lost four hours of time. Wow. Went to bed, woke up the next day. I felt nauseous, disoriented, walked out into the kitchen, looked at the coffee pot, was like, no way, just sipping on water. My friends came out of their rooms. They look like hell. They didn't feel well either. And we just sat there stunned because we knew we'd lost this four hours of time. But it's not like we were all excited. Yeah, oh my God, we lost. You know, it was like, no, just stunned. Mm -hmm. um, wondering what the heck happened. A couple weeks later, I went to a psychic here in Sedona. And before I was even seated, she said, okay, I see like something happened. In, with you and your two friends and what she saw was that a uh, pod chip has la had landed in an invisibility shield and these three Arcturians had gotten out come up the stair take each of us by the hand aboard the pod ship and then up to a larger mothership where we were downloaded with some advanced knowledge wisdom technologies to be revealed over time well, right after that, I started grabbing poster board and markers and drawing these big circle with 12 circles around it. 
like a zodiac wheel, but I knew these were dimensions. And one was source deity, and two was the elemental realm where creation comes into being, and three was the lowest incarnational realm, and on and on. But in each of these dimensions, I knew like you know who I was, what my role was, where I was, and it all downloaded very quickly. And I started to realize that I could communicate interdimensionally. I could see the multidimensionality of my soul and then others as I started to do it for my sister and my friends. And then I started to do it as a service. And now I do multidimensional soul reunions. And so sorry for the long answer to your question. (laughs) But I became aware of these multidimensional aspects of myself as a Pleiadian, as an Arcturian, you know, in Orion, in Andromeda. And, you know, then with this realization that we are all multidimensional beings, you know, and that their time is an illusion. And in truth, there's just really one eternal now moment where our eternal soul stands at the center of our creation and mentally projects holographic fractals of its personality into these multiple dimensions of time and space. And so what's actually happening is that I was able to see through the eyes of my eternal soul and witness and view, you know, these different uh, timelines and different dimensions where I was being and being these different personalities. And I'm able to do that now for others as well. And I start with a 3D past life regression, or you Mm -hmm. might say concurrent lives, because first we have to reconcile 3D and then we can move into wholeness in 3D and transition into then 5D through the 4D transitional realm, which I believe is the astral plane, the plane of angels and demons where we have You know, we can choose to serve the light selflessly or continue to dwell in the shadows. And it's just a matter of whether we've mastered our lessons in this 3D duality. And if we're ready then to ascend into 5D. And I feel that, you know, right now we've come to a place on this planet in this solar system where we have been catapulted into a golden age. And it's at these times when we can choose to get off this 3D wheel and ascend into a higher dimensional reality. And I believe we're being given that choice now. And it's being facilitated, too, by these supercharged photons, encoded photons coming in on solar flares. That's really raising the frequency of the planet and for those who are open to receive that and can assimilate that higher frequency, we're naturally uh, being uh, ascended. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I think Dr. Motion had mentioned something about the protons to me during one of my interviews with him. it's kind of funny. I had just posted a episode today with somebody named Denny, Denny Hunt. And his thing was that um, Arcturians and 
Pleiadians were negative aliens and Assyrians were good aliens. And I have to say, after posting that episode today, because I posted it, the whole bunch of like Arcturian and Syri- you know, all these different Facebook groups, my phone blew up today like it never has before. <laughs> and um, it, it's just like this weird debate of, um, you know, which ones are good and which ones are bad. Like one thing like everybody agrees on, and, and I don't know if you will agree that reptilians are bad. Well, I think there are good and bad reptilians. Mm-hmm. I mean, I truly do. And who, you know, and possibly there are good and bad Pleiadians, Arcturians, Orions, you know, um, I think of the Pleiadians as being this, you know, love, light race of higher beings who are our brothers and sisters. Of course, you know, we share this galaxy with many other galactic races and you might consider them our galactic brothers and sisters. And, um, this is how I think of the Pleiadians and the Arcturians. Arcturus actually means shepherd. And the Arcturians are often thought of as shepherding humanity through the Ascension Gateway. Um, and, you know, so that's that's my uh, mm-hmm. knowledge and uh, of them. And when I do these multidimensional soul reunions, these Pleiadian beings are these beautiful pale beings with blonde hair and blue eyes and they're just love expressed in form. And the Arcturians seem wise and and maybe more ancient, but they're dedicated to uh, shepherding humanity and you know through the Ascension Gateway if they're ready right. for that by measuring their light quotient. Um, I see the Orions as sort of measuring consciousness somehow having the ability to calibrate and measure uh, different zones of consciousness. Um, And uh, the reptilians, like, you know, I think many of us have heard the stories about um, the Lyran draconian wars and, you know, how, um, (laughs) (laughs) right, right. The draconians have tried to wipe out the Lyran race and then some other star races came in to save them. But I've also heard positive stories about good uh, reptilians who are now coming in as these very strong um, warrior type beings to protect humanity. Um, You know, so I think that's very possible that, um, you know, you would have uh, some reptilians uh, maybe from within the inner earth. Right. And maybe some reptilians from Draconis, Mm. but maybe, you know, also we're all, they're all evolutionary beings. So maybe some have chosen instead of serving the darkness to serve the light. And so, you know, to say that they're all bad, you know, I I think it's possible that maybe some have turned toward the light and an evolutionary, um, you know, progression. How about the Syrians? Do you think the Syrians are responsible for crop circles? 
You know, I, it's, that's a really great question. And um, I have a TV network called SciSpy.TV and um, Lucy Pringle uh, has a show on there and she's one of the world's experts on crop circles out in the UK, right? <laughs> she shared with me some really interesting phenomenon about how even the life force of Mother Earth, you know, may be producing these crop circles with energy emanating from the inner earth, you know? And so we kind of explored the possibility that Mother Gaia herself may be using source intelligence to create these crop circles. Um, but, you know, there may be higher intelligence involved as well. But I mean, I wouldn't say it's just the Syrians that's that are creating these either. That's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. And as far as like the Syrian race of beings, I can tell you that I live here in Sedona, Arizona, and that the Hopis believe that they are from Sirius B, uh, just like the Dogon tribes of Africa believe that their star ancestors are from Sirius B. Even the Hopis say that these Kachinas or star people still land on the San Francisco Twin Peaks here and come down and walk amongst them as teachers and healers and guides and family. And so I believe the serious bee, um, otherworldly beings uh -huh. are uh, very connected to the indigenous tribes. And in fact, I believe that our planet has been used as a life experimentation lab. And here is where multiple star races are permitted to implant their star seeds here for the human race to then evolve as these with this star seed DNA. So do you, so do you think that uh, human, the human race was seeded originally by extraterrestrials? I do. In fact, I'm a fan of a book that some feel is controversial, but it really resonates with me. And that's the Urantia book, which was I've tried a compilation of many papers, right? And so here you have this couple who are psychiatrists and suddenly they get this patient who is going into trance states talking about very advanced, sophisticated concepts right? And it's revealed in the Urantia book as he channels all of these higher beings, the ancients of days, wisdom keepers, right? From like the mm -hmm. headquarters of the super universe. And, you know, in some of the papers, you know, what is revealed is that these star seeds were implanted on planet earth and spontaneously like these seven races um, came into being on planet earth and they were the colors of the chakras and that the orange and green races didn't survive. It was like survival of the fittest or they may have um, merged with the races that did survive, which were the red races and the root chakra is the indigenous. Mm -hmm. And then the yellow races, which became the Asian races, the blue bloods in the throat chakra, right? Became the blue bloods of Europe. 
and the indigo races became the African-American races. Ultimately, it says that the violet race came in with Adam and Eve when humanity was upgraded. And so I find that to be very fascinating. And of course, they reveal that um, that our planet, which they call Urantia, was designated as a decimal planet. And on decimal planets, multiple DNA seeds can be implanted in this life experimentation project. (laughs) You're the first person I've talked to who's actually familiar with that book. Oh, and, I, my and, I, goodness, and I've asked I... a lot of my guests still, like, hey, you ever heard of this book? And they're like, no. <laughs> right. And then I'll come across people who have a, an opinion about it. And I'm like, well, have you read it? No, but I saw on the internet that, you know, and you're like, wow, okay. Unless you're willing to dedicate yourself to this over 3,000 page book and read it paper by paper by paper, right? Then I'll hear your opinion about it. But I have to say for myself, I just dedicated myself for a year to just diving in. And I was just astounded and amazed. And I think it's written beautifully. And here, you know, they're talking about super automons, which are strings saying these tiny vibrating you know, super automatons are like these tiny vibrating strings. And this is long before theoretical physicists starting coming up, mm-hmm. started coming out with super string theory. I'm like, here, you guys <laughs> read the Urantia book because the science is advanced and amazing. And now it's coming into the forefront of physics. Right. <laughs> it's weird. Like I never even heard of that book until I was reading a, uh, biography about Jimi hendrix and apparently like he was a huge fan of that book like a lot of his songs were inspired by it thank you for sharing that i did not know that <laughs> yeah apparently, although i'm a fan of Jimi hendrix <laughs> <laughs> yeah apparently he carried it everywhere course. he went wow amazing yeah yes it is it is an <laughs> epic read though i've I don't know if I have that dedication right now. <laughs> In my book, Rise Up, uh-huh. I reference the Urantia book a lot. And I take these concepts that are very advanced and sophisticated and make them more easily understandable and digestible. And the Urantia book is actually um, public um, domain. Yes. And so... Yes. You know, even though I reference it all throughout so that people can go and, you know, see these quotes for themselves, um, you know, you can reference it quite a bit in any, you know, work. Yeah, you can just download it and read it. (laughs) Right? You can download it, read it. It's also on Audible, you know, and so to really understand it, I listened to it on Audible. I saw it, you know, on the Internet and I sat there with the book. One page at a time. It has like right? a, doesn't it have like an alternate version of Jesus in it? It does, because that's like um, the, the last part of it. So it's like the first part is about how creation came into mm-hmm. being. 
right? This idea of this central universe with the paradise core, right? Where infinity flows into eternity. And then you have this central universe that everything is in its perfect divine blueprint, right? Settled in the eternal now moment, this universe of perfection. And then these seven super universes of time and space, which are all just replications of this one perfect prototype at the center, right? It's reflections, projections mm -hmm. of the one prototype in the center. And I just, wow, you know, but then the middle part is about, is about Urantia, our planet. And um, it's very much a historical account, which I find mm -hmm. so incredibly fascinating. And then the last part is the life of Jesus. How does it compare to the work of Madame Blavatsky? It sounds pretty similar. Right. I mean, really, you know, you're just hitting it on all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a huge fan of Theosophy and Madame Blavatsky, and I've got her book, Isis Unveiled. I've got the Secret Doctrine books, and also then Alice Bailey's books, mm -hmm. right? Because she kind of took Blavatsky's work and tried to make it a little bit more understandable, yeah. <laughs> right? but still pretty advanced. Mm -hmm. And then you had Dr. Joshua David Stone who wrote the Ascension Manuals and he furthermore tried to take these concepts around theosophy and you know make them even more understandable and applicable with practices. And I mean, I'm a huge fan of theosophy and theosophy says basically what I was talking about earlier, that our eternal soul projects 12 aspects of its personality into each of 12 dimensions in time and space, giving us 144 soul extensions to make up our monad. Can you tell me why my soul is doing this? <laughs> to experience thyself, right? Because in this eternal realm as eternal souls, we just exist. We just are. This is an existential reality. And a way to know thyself by existing and being. But then these eternal souls had this idea to create this mental construct called space-time as another way to know thyself by doing and experiencing. And I like to say, and to experience love. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Does it end or is it eternal? I believe it's ever expanding. Although in the Urantia book, they talk about the grand universe of evolutionary beings, but then they say there's a master universe and they even imply that it's still being constructed, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a point when you're done evolving and then you become an absinite being in this master universe. And then there you are, right? And you're done doing, and now you're back to being an absinite being in the master universe mm -hmm. because you've completed your evolutionary journey. I just want that right now. I, want to, I just want to skip hit fast forward to go to that part. <laughs> right. And I mean, I think Ascension, honestly, like you could just say from a simple 
uh, definition that ascension is an ascension of of being like um, uplifted, elevated, like an ascension of your spirit and just being that ascended being in everyday reality, right? It's like you're ascended, you've transcended the matrix and you're awakening to this higher way of living and being. And then, you know, ultimately I feel like you're really just shifting your perception away from the reality of duality in 3D and now you're shifting your perception and looking at 5D and there you are, right? I mean, I think there's a process of raising your love light frequency to the point where you shift out of the 3D spectrum of perception and now you're capable of seeing within the 5D spectrum of perception, right? And I also have this sense that like it's happening, right? It's happening, it's happening. And I mean, I don't watch mainstream news at all anymore. You know, people will tell me what's going on and such, but I feel I've already created sort of a 5D reality for myself where I don't feel like even what's going on in 3D is is a part of my reality uh-huh. as much anymore as I create this other reality for myself that's sort of transcended. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. I mean, I do watch news, but I don't really, I don't know, I don't get attached to it. For me, it's just entertainment. Um, are there any practices, mm-hmm. meditations, or things that, tools that people can use to um, bring about the extension process from 3D to 5D? Certainly. And I feel now that I've progressed on my path to the point where I'm guiding sound healing journeys with my Tibetan singing bowls, with my crystal bowls. Of course, I use a lot of crystals and through guided meditation and guided visualization um, that I offer in my books and also as audio downloads on my website, um, I go into a sort of uh, trans channeling state where I bring through initiations, activations, meditations, and visualizations. And in all of these practices, it's about moving through the chakras, the 3D chakras, for instance, and doing cleansing and clearing and illuminating so that our life force prana can flow freely through it. And as you do that, you recognize, you know, the shadow energy or the blockages in these 3D chakras. And as you are able to remove those and dissolve those, and your life force prana is now moving through your crown, you can start to move into the higher chakras. Um, You might call the seven chakras the seven rays, right? In Mm -hmm. theosophy. But then there's the five secret rays, and you move more into... Um, the energy bodies and you know you can move through the eighth gateway chakra which I feel uh, is our vehicle light body or Merkaba and then you start to ascend through the five secret rays and I believe there's another 13th gateway chakra and that 
13th gateway is the gateway to ascension. And then you start to move into another, you know, 12 chakras, which are actually 5D chakras. And you start to incorporate um, rather than the shallow breathing that we kind of do here in 3D, what I have discovered just recently as toroidal breathing, where you are breathing through your chakras, always starting in the heart and then sending that love energy into the root and then through the heart and then into the sacral. And it's like this toroidal way of breathing and it's expanding our aura while illuminating it. And, you know, so these are some of the practices um, that I offer. Also, you know, igniting the golden light body with golden light body practices. The third book in my trilogy is called Lighten Up, Activating Your Light Body. And so, you know, we move into those practices. But like this multidimensional soul reunion that I do, it's beyond just a soul reunion. What I was shown is that when you merge with these higher dimensional aspects of yourself, you bring more of your brain online and you ignite dormant DNA. I wonder, you know, why are we only using 10% of our brain and 4% of our DNA? Well, I was shown it's because we're only 10% of who we are here in wholeness. And then I was shown that 12D is the eternal realm of our eternal soul. And I came to realize that if we're 10% of who we are in 3D, by the time we get to 12D, we're 100% in our perfect divine blueprint. And there we are as perfect, whole, and complete as our eternal soul. And you, so, you, you know, have, as you, you work, have a chart of this blueprint, because this is, <laughs> I need, I need a chart to follow uh, with all these. <laughs> right. I mean, I actually do have charts and they're in the other room. I really do. I've got like a chart and I mean, I just been download all of this stuff. And it's like, um, not only are we like merging with the higher dimensional selves. And as we do, it raises our frequency brings a more of our brain online, ignites dormant DNA, right? Because now we are a more expanded version of our whole self. I mean, it's all us. It's all you in all of these other dimensions. You're just coming into wholeness as you merge with the higher dimensional aspects. And so that's just another way of ascending. All right. Um, are you familiar with like Kabbalah at all? I love Kabbalah and really how I got introduced to it was another one of my very favorite books by Dr. J.J. Hertog. The Book of Knowledge, Keys of Enoch mm -hmm. is phenomenal and it is Jewish mysticism. Yes. Kabbalah, right? Mm -hmm. But done with you know fire codes and i mean i have drawn all of those symbols in every chapter of all three parts of his book and pasted them all over my bedroom wall right because they're activating codes <laughs> <laughs> 
do you um think that um when we merge into 5D consciousness it'll be easier for us to manifest the things that we desire? I do. I think we'll have much more mastery where we can transform our thoughts into form. I feel we're already doing that in a way now. Like I'm a big fan of vision boards. And I can tell you, if I pull out a vision board from a few years ago Mm -hmm. and show you, it's like, Oh my God, like all of this is actually coming to being. And of course there's some practical aspect to it, but other things just, you know, are like miracle manifestation. And so I think, you know, obviously our thoughts create our reality. I mean, that's, you know, I I feel pretty obvious at this point in time. Um, From an energetic perspective, right? Our thoughts create the reality that we experience, um, especially from a mental emotional perspective. Uh, For instance, you know, just um, waking up in the morning and saying like, oh God, you know, I'm going to hit all kinds of traffic and then we get to work. My boss is going to be an asshole. You know what I mean? And then it's like, okay, well, that's exactly what you're going to experience. Or if you wake up and say, God, it's going to be a great day. Traffic's going to be smooth. I'm going to have a wonderful day with my beautiful coworkers. Like, then that's your reality. So, you know, in this sense, you're creating these, you know, your reality with the power of your thoughts. But I also believe that we're, we are actually able to attract forms into our reality where things that we desire um we can bring into our reality with the power of our intention and the law of attraction you see Mm -hmm. we can attract people places things projects abundance prosperity you know into our lives by with power of intention we can i'm always afraid of desiring the wrong thing You know, um, you're funny. Well, it kind of makes it's me kind of, laugh, kind right? of, like kind you of, have to be very cautious <laughs> about what you're thinking. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah, because sometimes, like, it's easy to desire something, but the during the process of the manifestation of whatever it is you desire, um, it can be rough. <laughs> right. Well, just always make sure that it serves the highest good for yourself and all others. This is why love is key. Mm -hmm. This is why we don't have those skills in 3D, because we would be irresponsible with them. Until you really move into that higher love light frequency where you authentically and sincerely want only the very best for everyone without exception then you can have the gift to manifest form with the power of your thoughts right that's that's difficult for somebody who's living in 3d and only wants money sex and bacon (laughs) exactly 
me why we aren't giving these gifts in 3D, right? Because now you have some hot chick ringing your doorbell with a pile of bacon and a you know briefcase full of money, right? That you're probably going to use to buy more sex drugs and rock and roll, you know? So, right, exactly. <laughs> Don't go out there doing that, you guys. <laughs> nah, you can do it. it won't end well. <laughs> I'm just telling you. It's not good karma either. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. I, I've certainly done my share. <laughs> <laughs> Let the good times roll. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, part of that, I think, is um, enjoying, enjoying the journey. You know, um, one of the things that helps me get through through life anyway is just to be able to kind of sit back and enjoy it for what it is, even if it's crap. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's, it's my because because that's yeah. my perception. You know, I was like, right. all right, well, this might be uh, a crappy situation for most people, but I think I can might be able to find some humor and pleasure in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all what you choose, yeah. right? This higher perspective, you know, and I mean, it's certainly a journey. You know, I didn't just get from my dark night of the soul drinking vodka and playing pool, you know, to suddenly sitting here in this elevated state of ecstatic bliss and inner peace, right? I mean, it's been a journey, you know, a decade or more of really being focused on you know, the spiritual path, but now my bliss comes from the spiritual path. What is your opinion on people who use things like ayahuasca and DMT? Do you think that's a shortcut? I don't have an opinion about that. I really don't. I really try to stay away, stay out of judgment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like my big practice, right? Not to judge myself or others, uh, but I can only just say for myself, I have chosen not to release DMT in that way and to use deep trance meditation to release DMT. Have you tried sun gazing to release DMT? Gosh, it's so crazy. The questions you're asking, it's like you're reading my mind. <laughs> I am a huge sun worshiper and I stare at the sun a lot. In fact, a lot of my practices are sun gazing and i do this mantra uh to the sun, uh which is an ancient hindu practice mm -hmm. om ahum vajra guru pima city whom and you imagine a sun behind the sun that's like the soul of the sun and you go around 12 times like a clock with one at the top and say the mantra 12 mm -hmm. times right and it's just a powerful practice and I mean, I've had amazing experiences with the sun. One time, not that long ago, I built, um, a, so I have a stargate that I hike to and I stand in this stargate, right? And you know, I'm hoping that there, a spaceship is gonna land there someday and my galactic brothers and sisters are gonna get out, you know? And it just may, but I was doing the sun salutation and oh my gosh, this bright orange ball comes out of the sun and starts moving towards me and parks itself 
right in front of me, this huge orange ball of light. And I'm just watching this happen and I'm staring at it in front of me going, you know, WTF, like, <laughs> what is this? What's happening? And I just stood there in awe. And then it like moved back into the sun. And I was like, wow. what was that? Yeah, I've had some amazing experiences with the sun. Sun gazing is pretty cool. I just recently discovered it. It's it's fascinating. It, it's amazing how we can alter our consciousness in so many different ways with light. Another thing that I use is uh, binaural beats. Have you tried those or hemisync? Hemisync, yes, hemisync. I love hemisync. I create a lot of videos for my TV network, and I put hemisync music under. And I have to say. The artist is Deborah Thunderbeat at thunderbeat.com. She's got several CDs. She's a very good friend of mine here in Sedona. And she's been awarded number one hemisync artist in the world. Um, I love her music. I think it's transporting. Wow. You'll have to uh, get her as a guest on my show for me. You would love her. her she's got a book, Look Up. She's had multiple um, contact experiences. Yeah, she's amazing. You'll love her. Yeah, yeah. Come on, send me her information afterwards. I'll do an email introduction. What kind of dog do you have? Oh my gosh, we adopted a coyote husky mix. He's amazing. <laughs> he's amazing. He's less than two years old, so I don't know what he's barking about out there, but he's probably had it with me sitting in here talking. Yes, my dog <laughs> does the same thing. If I'm like well, I'm lucky, like right now, my wife came home, but usually when I'm in here doing a podcast for more than an hour and a half, he starts going off. Yeah, he's like <laughs> dinner, uh, attention, a long enough. <laughs> yeah, he just wants to be pet and. Goes out to pee every right. five minutes. <laughs> if I tell him to hush, he'll he'll hush though. Yeah. Tucker, hush. It's amazing. My dog won't do that. We'll see how long it lasts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a great interview. Thanks for coming on. Aw, thank you. You're asking great questions. We're really on the same page. With a lot of stuff. I love it. Yeah. Um, before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you? Oh, thank you for that. So my website, SuzanneRossWellness.com has everything that I do. And on the homepage, you can click on my books, the sessions that I offer both live and online. Mm -hmm. Also, I offer spiritual journeys out here in the Red Rock Vortex of Sedona. You can click on that. You can click on my TV network, SciSpy.tv. We now have six channels and over 30 shows. And then also um, on that, uh, on the website, you can tune into the latest events. And so I host events and retreats here in Sedona on a regular basis. And you can find out what is the next event coming up. 
The next thing I have coming up is a virtual ascension retreat being released on May 1st. And it's all the footage from the live three-day ascension <laughs> retreat we just had about 10 days ago here in Sedona. That is awesome. And I'll definitely post all the links to, to your websites. I have all that information. And they will be in the notes to this episode so my listeners can check it out while they're listening. Thank you. I so appreciate that. Do you know Brother Sage? I don't recognize that name. Yeah, he's in Sedona. Huh, I'll have to look him up. Well, you'll definitely be shocked if you look him up. <laughs> yeah? yeah? Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> There's very cool people here in Sedona. I mean, wow. I love the spiritual community here, and I fit right in. <laughs> yeah. I was looking at it as a possible place to move. It's a little expensive, out of my price range. Well, listen, I live here in the Verde Valley, so I didn't want to live in Sedona because we moved here from the San Francisco area and we wanted peace and quiet. Mm -hmm. And Sedona is anything but. It is a huge tourist destination year round. Millions of people come here year round. So we wanted to be just outside of Sedona in the Verde Valley. Now I can still be in Sedona in 15 minutes, but the Verde Valley is quiet little towns that are very affordable. Our house would be three times as much in Sedona. Interesting. I'll have to look into it. I currently live in Alabama. <laughs> right? <laughs> How do you like it? It's taking me a while to get used to it, but now I'm actually starting to like it. Cool. They actually have really amazing beaches which is something that most people wouldn't think about when you think of Alabama, but the beaches are great. Cool. Um, have you gotten into, into any of the like Southern energy there? Like I always think of Bammy and I don't know. I think of alligators and oh, swamps. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I love the gators. The gators are awesome. Right. Yeah. Talk about a reptilian. Yeah, and they're huge. <laughs> like, I, I, didn't, uh, I, I didn't realize that these gators were like the size of like a pickup truck. Wild. Right? I think I've watched some of those like gator shows where, you know, you have a couple of dudes come out and help like get a gator out of someone's uh -huh. yard or whatever. Right? Yeah, those are those are the small gators. Those baby, those are baby gators. <laughs> they get oh, huge. Really? Compared yeah. to some of these huge gators, yeah. wild. And I think I've even seen some like gator handling or mm -hmm. right. Yeah, there's a place wild. like down the road from me where you can go and they'll let you hold a gator and get your picture taken. It's pretty cool. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Wild, fun, fun stuff in Bama. Yeah. Or Bammy, right? Bama. <laughs> Bama, okay. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on. And just hang on for one more moment, and I'm going to play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. 
You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.